Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. And if you can join me in Luke 15, and we're going to be looking at a parable that Jesus was speaking. And if you've been joining us for this Home for All, Home for the All series, you've noticed that we've done, a par- we've done a message on the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. And now we're just going to finish up looking at the parable of the prodigal son. And what Home for All is all about, what this, this collective of, collection of talks has been about is really what we, we see for ourselves as a church. That we want to be a church that is more than just a building. It's more than just an event. It's more than just a show, but it's a home that people can come and feel welcome every single Sunday. Amen. That's what we want. That's what we want this series of, to, to, to prone something in us to say, you know what? I want to do more than just come on a Sunday, but I want to make sure that I'm making sure that my life is being available to create a home for all. And so today we're going to be looking at the prodigal son and how that relates to a home for all. If you're taking notes, the title of my message is a house of grace, house of grace. And we're going to pick it up in uh, Chapter 15, verse 1, just to get a little context of who Jesus is speaking to and what the setting of this parable is being shared at. And it says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, Jesus' reputation uh, drew a crowd. He was a man who was eating with tax collectors. He was a man that was talking and, and dining with sinners, people who were, who were considered bad during that age. And you would see the Pharisees who were teachers of the Torah, scholars of the Torah. They were the religious leaders who were not really vibing with what Jesus was doing. He wasn't really, they weren't really cool with who Jesus was hanging out with and his crew. So here they are. You got the sinners and then you got the Pharisees all in this crowd. So Jesus is using these parables to make sure he speaks not just to the sinners, but speaks to the Pharisees as well. And he says this in the parable, starting in verse 11, which is jumped down to 11. It says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The youngest one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. What he's asking for is inheritance. He's asking the father to give him his inheritance uh, instead of waiting. So he's asking him to give him the share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. He packed it up, went to South Beach, blew all his money, and now he finds himself in a tough spot. After he had spent everything, there was a severe, severe famine that the whole country, in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And if you understand Jewish culture, you understand this is a very low place for a Jewish boy to be. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, meaning he was so hungry that he's looking at the pig's food as food that he was trying to eat. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, when he realized how bad he had gone, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, one like your, make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But he was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. 
he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The, 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 the original text made it just, he didn't kiss him just once, but he kissed him all over his face and kissed him so he just realized how much he was missing his son. And the son said to him, Father, I had sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Sorry, vegans, but it's in the Bible. I'm sorry. I'm just saying. Sorry you guys had to hear that. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I love this story. Maybe you've heard the prodigal son before. Maybe it's your first time hearing it. It's one of the most beloved stories that Jesus has ever shared. And I really wanted to tie into the Home for All series of what it means to be a house of grace. The same grace that the father showed for this son is the same grace I, I, I pray and I, and I hope that this house will show to other people. And so if we're taking notes, the title message is House of Grace, Luke 15. Let's pray and let's get in this thing together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for just everything, God. We thank you for amazing day we've had so far, so many salvations, people making that decision to follow after you. And Jesus, I just pray that today at this 1 p.m. service, maybe there's some people that they feel like a prodigal son. They feel like their life is a waste. They feel like they're going in the wrong direction in life. They have no direction. They have no vision. And I just pray that today, God, they would understand that, God, you have an ultimate vision for their life. That, God, you want to change it from the inside out. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way, speak through me. And God, I just pray that lives would be changed. And we as a church would understand that this home building isn't easy, but it's always worth it when we see people come to know you. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. And everybody stand. Amen. So, church, I'm going to kind of start out with a bold question here. And don't answer it. It's rhetorical. Don't answer it out loud because it'll make sense when I ask it. But I want to know, what, what is the, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in your entire life? Like, just think of it. Think of that moment. Think of that thing. Like I said, don't, don't say it out loud. And uh, just think about it. Let it sit for a little bit. Maybe it's more severe than others. Maybe it's more uh, not as severe. But uh, I'm going to be honest with you. If I was going to share everybody with my dumb moments, we'd be here for uh, another three services because it's a, lot, it's, a lot, it's a lot going on. But I'm going to just open myself. I'm going to be vulnerable in this moment. And uh, I'm going to share with a, a dumb moment that happened recently. And when I mean recent, I mean yesterday. And um, I, uh, I just got back from North Carolina. I went to go see one of my best friends get married. And we had a good time and get to catch up with all my college buddies and just seeing them and, you know, I live in Miami, one lives in San Francisco, one lives in Chicago, and just, it's hard for us to get together, so we got to the wedding, got to catch up and hang out, and what was really cool is always getting to see a new place, like going to North Carolina, I, look, Miami is the greatest city of all time, I'm not saying that, but it's always cool to see a, a new city, to get to see new people and a new setting, and what was cool about North Carolina is it had these things, uh, like our city bikes or our line bikes, right, where you go to the South Beach, you guys know what I'm talking about, the city bikes, where you rent them out, they go for a couple distances, and um, you use them to get around a little bit in South Beach or downtown, and but it's not a bike, it's a scooter. And they call them birds. And I know when I first heard it, I was like, wait, we're riding real birds? That was another dumb moment I did. And uh, I was like, no, we're riding scooters, guys. We're riding scooters. And what they do is there's these birds all over the city, all over downtown. And what you do is you download an app, you scan the barcode on the specific scooter, and it lets you ride it. Yes, you have to pay for it, but it's super cheap and it's super fun to get around town. It's really, really cool. And so we had gotten there Wednesday and the wedding was Friday. So we had a couple couple reps to get with our scooters. 
And uh, what I mean is uh, I, I was trying to get, I was trying to be like X Games. I was trying to get my scooter to a point where I can do some flips, do some ollies, do some, I don't even know what ollie is, but I just, I think that's the term, right? Ollie. Just try to get some air. And really, they're, they're, it's, the, the scooters are for traveling. It's not for tricks, not for any of that stuff. But I was like, man, you know what? I'm, I'm, I've, been, I've been doing this for two days. You know, like, like this, is, this is rookie stuff for me. And the cool thing was my, uh, my fiance was coming in on Friday. And I was telling her, like, hey, Danny, like, like, they have these things in North Carolina called birds that you can ride. And she's like, oh, no, like birds? No, no, like scooters, love, like scooters. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, it was one of those things where, like, I was excited to show her to, to get on a scooter with her. And we were just going to go sightseeing and all that good stuff. So when she got there, that was one of the first things that we did. So, you know, again, like I said, I had been, you know, practicing my, my bird riding abilities. And it was cool because we were with our friends and it was like, it was one of those things where like, it felt like it was E.T., you know, like that scene where they're all on the bikes and they're like flying up. Like we had like 10 of us, 10 deep. We called ourselves the bird game. And it was like, it was like, we were just everywhere. We were just out. Like we just had everything. We had the whole streets, 10 people deep on scooters, ready to, I don't know, we weren't ready to do anything, but, but we were just looking for a place to eat. But when she got there, she joined the bird gang. She joined the bird gang. And she was showing, I was showing her how to ride it, how to get through it. And it was really cool. And I just felt this in my, in my spirit that I just, I needed to just impress her, you know, like, like, you know, like, even though you get married or you're about to get married, you should never stop dating your spouse, right? So I was like, you know, I got to impress her. I got to impress her. I got to, I got to try to do something to get that, that, that spark, you know, like, I got to let her know, like, hey, she's, she's, she's married someone pretty cool, you know what I'm saying? And so I decided to, um, uh, I uh, how do I explain this? Well, I decided to do a jump from a distance that you probably shouldn't do a jump with a scooter that is not meant to do a trick that is more meant for traveling. So I decided to, there was a scenic route, and uh, I, I'm so scarred from this story, <laughs> like literally. And um, I was going down, this, uh, I was going down this, this scenic route, all of us, we, it was my friends and Daniela, and I was like, okay, I'm going to get on the sidewalk, and as I'm on the sidewalk, I need enough air so I can jump off the sidewalk onto the street, and it'll look really cool, really awesome. Hopefully someone can put it on their Snapchat, Instagram, really be cool, get more followers, all that good stuff. And so I did it. I went fast, I got my pedal to the metal, I'm ready to go, eyes on the prize, I'm ready, I'm, I'm focused, and so I get the right speed, and I finally jump off the sidewalk, and um, you ever notice those moments when you know you're about to fall, that time goes really, really slow, and so that was what's happening, I was in the air, and I was just picturing like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make this, I might not get married, I don't know if I'm going to have kids, like, this is, this is, I enjoyed North Carolina, it was awesome while I was here, and uh, that was happening in my mind. And so I finally, I finally in the air, just realized I'm going to eat it so bad and I'm just going to accept it. And so I'm in the air and all of a sudden my, my scooter goes this way. I go this way. And uh, I do like a slide like I was going to home base. And I got the scars. I got a hole in my right hand. Yeah, it's just, it's really crazy. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. And uh, now I got scars to show. And it's pretty embarrassing. And the reason why I say this and the reason why I share my dumb story so we can understand that everybody has their own dumb stories. Everybody has their own moments in life where they kind of hit rock bottom, maybe more serious than that. But really, this story that we just read is a moment where a son did something very dumb to his father. And now he's living out those regrets and living out those moments of like, man, maybe I shouldn't have made this dumb decision. Maybe I shouldn't have made this choice. What the son did was extremely dumb. It was out of character for boys to do at that age. And it was illogical at the time because... Like I said before, like when, 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 you, when you ask for your inheritance, it's usually after your father or, or passes away so you can leave the legacy. But what he's doing is he's like, no, no, I, I want my legacy. I want my money now. It's my money and I need it now. It's one of those things like he wanted to have his money right now. He wanted to live life right now. He didn't want to wait for anybody. He didn't want to think about anybody. He wanted to make a decision that, that ended up costing him something very much. It was a dumb decision. 
I love this, I love this story because it paints a perfect picture of grace. Like Jesus is, is, is giving us a canvas of what, what grace should look like. And how does this tie into the Home for All series? Well, well if we're going to be a home for all, we need to make sure that we're going to have grace for all. Meaning we have grace to every single person, the prodigals, the people that, the, the, the alcoholics, the, the people that, that may be addicted to, to sex or drugs, whatever, fill in the blank. Not the people that we just like, who sound like us, talk like us, but every single person that we run into, making sure that we give them grace that was shown to us by Jesus. Is this going to be a house of grace? Are we, are we going to be living as an example of that grace that Jesus showed us? You see, Jesus, that's, that's, what, he's, that's what the parable is all about. Notice his crowd. It's Pharisees and sinners. Pharisees lacked grace to love other people, and sinners didn't understand the grace that, 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 that caused them to be loved by God. So it's two kinds of people, but they have a misunderstanding of grace. And Jesus is saying this story for a reason. He's sharing this for a purpose. What he's saying to the crowd, what he's saying to the Pharisees was that no matter how bad, how vile, how dirty, how awful a person's life may be or how it may look, there's always going to be a room in this house for them. Like that's, that's, the, that's the story. That's the basis of what he's trying to get across. That if we're going to be a home for all, we need to make sure that we're allowing every single person, no matter what walk of life they have, that they can walk in here and feel loved, feel at home, feel forgiven, feel, feel grace, because Jesus is trying to example that for us. That's what home for all is all about. It's showing grace to those who need it and showing grace to those who don't understand it. Really, what we have to understand is this, is that Jesus is grace. Grace is not a principle, it's a person. It's, it's Jesus. Look what John 1.17 says, and this is, what, this is what the Bible tells us, that for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So whenever, the, whenever Jesus showed up, grace followed. Whenever Jesus showed up somewhere, truth followed. And the church is it's our, it's, it's our job, it's our, it's our duty to not follow in Jesus' footsteps and making sure that we are living in grace and truth, that we have a home that is filled with grace and truth. Look what it says in Ephesians 1.23, and Pastor Alex shared these verses, and it really, it really expounds on what it means to be a church and a home for all. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Look what Ephesians 3.10 says, if we can go down. 310, it says this, that God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You have to understand, church, there's no plan B. Like we are plan A. We are the plan for God's, for God's kingdom, for God's word, for God's love to be shown in this world. It's on us. It's on us to show grace to others. There's no other, there's no one else coming. There's no other plan. We are the, we are the physical embodiment of Jesus. The main idea of what I hope we can get across today is this, is that Jesus is the personification of grace. The church is a physical representation of grace. Like Jesus is grace. But now that Jesus is in heaven, after he fulfilled the prophecy and after he, he came down, down on the cross and went up to heaven, now we are, we are living, we are speaking, acting on his behalf. We're the physical, in the physical realm, personification of his love and his grace. And how are we going to be using that that priority, how are we going to be using that power that, that, in, that our lives speaks for the church, that our lives speaks on the behalf of Jesus? I know it sounds like it's a lot of pressure, but Jesus never gives us anything that we can't handle. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And what I want us to get through this story and how the prodigal son fits in with all this is you have to understand that our, our city is full of prodigals. And what prodigal is, is someone who, who has a wasteful life, someone who does something wasteful. And what is the church going to do to step up to the plate to reach all those prodigals? 
What are we going to do? Are we going to be a home that just, that just allows what's happening outside these walls just be okay? Or are we going to say, no, we have some prodigals that need to come back home because I have a seat waiting for them when they come back. So there's three things I want to like, three types of grace that I think our house needs to have. And, and we're going to look at the process of, this, of the father and the son in this story. And the first one is this, that a grace, the, the, the kind of grace that we need to display is a grace that allows rebellion. And that's a kind of a weird statement, like, okay, rebellion, I don't know if my kids should be listening to this because they rebel all the time. Like, I get you. I understand. Every Friday, 200 kids rebel every Friday night. We understand. Preach. <laughs> we, we, get, we get it. And we're not, we're not advocating rebellious nature and we're not advocating rebellious living. What we are saying is that we can be a church that controls people's lives so much that we don't let them have a chance to meet Jesus on their own. So what, what, what I'm trying to say is look at what the Father's example was. I mean, God, the Father, was given his example here in this story. What happened was the son asked for his inheritance, but in those times, the inheritance was given after the father passes away. The eldest son would take now the inheritance. He would leave the legacy. He would now leave the, he would hold the tradition of his family. So the son says, okay, that sounds great, but I don't want to wait for that anymore. I want, I want to take my inheritance and go out and live it and spend it how I please. So pretty much what the son is saying to the father in this story is that I, 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 I can't wait for you to die yet. Like, like, I wish you were dead because I want my money. Like, like, like okay, we're supposed to wait, but I, I can't wait. So what he's saying is that I wish you were dead, yet the father allows him to take the inheritance knowing that it's a greedy and selfish thing, but doesn't say, hey, you know what? You, you're not taking that money. You're staying here. You're grounded for five years. Like, you're not, like he didn't do any of that. He, he didn't control him. He didn't force him because God's not a God that forces people to love him. That's not real love. So, so what he does is he allows a rebellion to take place because God knows that rebellion will lead to repentance. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's due time. In the right time, in the right moment, in the right setting. And so what happens, well, we have to put ourselves in the prodigal son's shoes. Can we, can we relate to prodigals? I can. I, I at times can be a prodigal. I have prodigal nature. I think a lot of us as humans, we have rebellious nature rebellious genes in our body that, that maybe says, yeah, I, I like that rule, but I'm going to break it. Or, yeah, that sounds good, but I'm going to do something opposite of that. Yeah, I know I should be doing this, but I'd rather do this because this feels better. And what happens is we fall into the trap that the devil sets and he uses sin to ensnare us into a lifestyle that God never called us to live. And so the prodigal son, he gets, like, you have to understand, the prodigal son, he had a good life. Like, his father was, was wealthy. He had a roof over his head. He had meals. He, he, he had servants. Like, like he, was, he was living a good life. He had everything made. So why on earth would he want to leave all that? What's well, something called dissatisfaction. In life, we're, we can be dissatisfied with things. And when we're dissatisfied, we look for something to fill in that dissatisfaction and hope we feel something. So what does this guy do? He, well, he lets his dissatisfied heart lead him to a disappointing life. And what happens is, he says, well, my, my house, my home, it's not, it's, it's not worth it. I don't, I, there's nothing here for me. I, I get it. I, I live here. My dad's awesome. The, my house is awesome. It's great. But I want something more. And that's what sin can be like. Sin can be like a mirage where we think we need it and we go to it looking for something to satisfy us. And when we get there, it just leaves us empty. That's what's happening to the prodigal son. He thinks that he's heard about downtown Jerusalem and he's heard about downtown Jerusalem on Sundays, and it's, and it's wild that night, and it's crazy, and the girls, and the, the clothes, and the cars, and he understands that, man, you know what, I want to go experience that. So he goes, I'm going to get my money, and I'm going to go. I'm going to take what is mine and go out. We have to be careful because freedom could be a tricky thing. Sin sets itself up as something that is freedom, but it's actually enslavement. 
And without God, without God, our, 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 our normal living, our, our things that we should be enjoying, like without God, our enjoyment becomes enslavement. Like, like without God, it, it's, it's, we're not really free. Sin makes us think we're free, but we're not. Look what, it's, look what um, Thomas Huxley said. I love this quote. I think it paints a picture of how we can be sometimes as mankind. It says, man's worst difficulties begin when he is able to do just as he likes. Man's difficulties, when, when life gets tough, when we get that freedom to say, oh man, I, I can do that. I can do this. It almost reminds me of my college years. Uh, when, I, when, when someone told me everything about college, I was like, man, sign me up. I can't wait to go to college. You don't have to make your bed every day. That's great. I don't have to eat breakfast every day. That's great. I don't have to do my laundry every day. That's great. Like, oh my God, my mom's not going to be bothering me. My dad's not going to be bothering me. I have so much freedom. I can do what I want. I can take whatever class I want. I can go out as long as I want. I have no curfew. This is great. But if, if, you, if you dig in too much to that freedom, it, it can lead you down a dark path. My freshman year was like that. I, I, got to, I got to college and it was great. I had freedom. I didn't have my mom all over me. I didn't have my dad all over me. They didn't tell me when to go to bed. They didn't tell me what to do. And because of that freedom, it led me to more and more pain and more suffering because what I was doing was my, letting my freedom drive me into more sin. And so what was happening was I, I, I was drinking more, hanging out more at night, and it was affecting my football, and it was affecting my school. To a point where I, I, almost, had to, I almost had to redo a class because, because the freedom that I had allowed me, or in my mind, put it in my head, and it was like, well, I, this, is my, this, is my, this is my college, this is my time, this is my year, this is my moment, this is my, 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 and that freedom allowed me and took me down a dark path. And that's what's happening to the prodigal son. And, 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 and Jesus warns us about this because sin will always leave you disillusioned. Like, like it's, not gonna, it's, it's not gonna be fulfilling like you think because sin can't fulfill you like Jesus can. And so what, what Jesus warns us in Luke 12, and this is another story that Jesus is talking to two brothers, and one of the brothers wants his inheritance. And look what Jesus tells them. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge and arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. There's no life in having things. There's no life in doing things. There's no life in, 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 in going out for things that are satisfying you always and always. It's, he's, he's warning against it because he knows that covetedness is dangerous. That you're going to always want things and this is not going to satisfy you. So you go to this thing and this thing doesn't satisfy you. So you go to that person. That person doesn't satisfy you. So you go to that relationship and you're just, in, you're just a vicious cycle and you find yourself lost and you're like, what, what happened? But as a church, are we going to allow people to go through that process so they can realize that, you know what? Because I went through this, now I know who I needed to go to in the first place. Because we have to understand this is, this is a part of the, the, the prodigal son is the story of us as humans. And I love in the second point we're going to be leading to is this, is a grace that this house needs to have is a grace that leads people to repentance. So they, they rebel, they, they, the son goes off, he does his own thing, he lives in sin, he, he goes off and does what he wants, but where does it end him up? Next to pigs eating, pit, they're eating their slop. Like, like, the money was great, right? The new life was great. But then the famine hit and the friends are gone, the money's gone, the clothes is gone, the lifestyle's gone, and now he's working here, slopping up food for pigs. And, and wishing he would eat that. That he was so hungry, he's like, man, I, I guess I'll eat it too. But it allowed him to fix his perspective and it allowed him to see where he, where he should have been. So what happened is at the lowest point of his life, it actually gave him the best perception of where he needed to go in life. Like you have to understand, sometimes we need to fall on our face in order to truly seek his face. And, and what do I mean by that? If we look at First Chronicles 16, 11, 
I should have it up there. It says this, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. You see, the, the part of the son forgot where his strength came from because his, his face and who he was seeking was, was misinterpreted. He was, he was in another direction. But because he was at the lowest point of his life, he only had one direction left to go. And it was back home to his father. But could he have seen it without the rebellion? Could he have seen it without the downfall? A lot of us, we like to control people and, and think repentance just comes because of us. And that's not the case. Notice there's, there's no other character in this story. There's, there's, there, this person, this son, repented because of what God did to him in the past, or what his father meant to him in the past. And he was like, man, you know what? I need to repent, meaning change direction, and go back to who my father was, go back to my home, go back to my warm bed, go back to my food, go back to my life of inheritance. And how did he find that out? In the lowest point of his life. A lot of us, we, we as, as Christians, as a church, we have to allow people to repent on their own and not force that on them. Because, because it, it's a very personal thing to do. The, 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 son, the, the son didn't have like someone nagging at him. You need to repent, dude. You messed up. Like, like no. Like, no, no one was there to do that. He had to realize that on, him, on his own. And as a church, we can't be overbearing on people. In our connectors, we can't be overbearing on people. We have to let people make their own path, make their own decisions, and pray for them, guide them, all that great stuff. But repentance is a one-on-one -on -one thing between God and, and, and human. So, so what happens? Well, I think a lot of us, well, we struggle with this because, like, to me, I think about repentance and the, the, the idea of somebody turning their ways from their, from their old life to now following after Jesus. And to me, in my own life, the best way that I, that I, that I felt like I, not the best way, but I would say when I felt the most like I needed to repent before God, it's because I was looking at somebody else's life and saying, man, I want what they have. I want to be like them. I want, I want to live like them. I look up to them. But I think as a church, we got to make sure that are we living lives that is full of grace and understanding of grace? Or are we living lives that we don't really understand grace, so I don't really know what to do for this person. I don't know how to live. Because here's the thing, to fully give grace, we need to fully understand grace. Like, like we have to understand what grace means for us. And I think because we don't understand what grace means, it's, it's kind of like a side hug. Any side huggers here? Like side huggers? Side hugs are weird. And um, what I mean by that is that side hugs is not a full embrace. It's, 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 it's half and half, and it leaves you like, okay, what do I do now? Like, have you ever been caught in a side hug? I feel like it's a trap. I don't know why, but maybe you side hug here. I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, call you out or anything, like, but side hugs are weird. I'm like, like, you say hi to somebody. Like, it's always awkward when you're coming up to somebody like, hey, how you doing? And they just go like this, like right there, and you're just like, like, is that a defense mechanism? Like, what is that? Like, I don't, what are you doing? Like, and he's just there. And so, like, you ever been caught in those side hugs where, like, you're there, and you're just like, what do I do? Like, uh, uh, okay, great. Like, like. <laughs> All right, yeah. Or like you walk with them, like, I don't know, are we a couple now? Like, I, like, it's just weird. We don't fully embrace a hug. Like, like just, just, just get both arms, give me a hug, and fully embrace it. But us as Christians, I think we treat grace as a side hug, and we kind of half-hearted, like, I guess I know what grace is. I guess I understand what grace is. I sing about it on Sundays. I read about it in the Bible, but I really don't understand it. And because you don't understand it, you can't give it. And if we're going to give grace, we have to understand it. And that, what does that take? It takes embracing everything that God did for you. Like, do you remember how good God is in your life? Like, do you take time? I love that Alex was singing this song, Remembrance. Like, do you take time to remember how, God, how good God is? Because it wasn't the house 
that, that the son remembered him and caused him to go back. It wasn't his room. It wasn't the food. It was the love of the father that said, you know what? I want to go back to my father. I want to go back to his love. I want to go back to his arms. I want to go back to his protection. I want to go back to how he made me be. But how can we do that if we haven't reminded ourselves of the embrace God wants to give us? If we're going to lead others into to repentance, we got to make sure that that we ourselves are understanding of the grace God put in our lives and over our lives. Because I think that can hold us back from so much power and setting other people free and helping other people understand who Jesus is and making church be a home for all. Third and final thing I want to talk about is, you know, grace that is, allows rebellion, a grace that, that, that leads people to repentance, but we also needed a grace that's always rejoicing like celebrating, like we need to celebrate more. We need to celebrate people coming back to Jesus. Like, like this story is all about a, a son that was lost and the father probably waiting every single day for his son to come back home, waiting and wanting and wishing and to finally see him down the road. The first thing he did was celebrate. He didn't ask him what he was doing. He didn't ask him where he's been. He didn't ask him where the money was. He didn't ask him any of that. Remember the son had, 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 had recited this whole, I'm going to tell this to my dad, that father, I sinned against heaven and I sinned against you. Like he had this whole speech written out. When the father got to him, the father didn't even hear the speech. He gave him a hug and a kiss and told him, welcome home. I love it that, that maybe you're here today and, and you're not necessarily looking for grace. You're not necessarily looking for a home. You're actually not necessarily looking for Jesus. You're not looking for God. But can I tell you that grace is looking for you and running towards you? that the son was off in a distance and the father didn't wait for him to get to the house. The father ran and gave him a kiss and a hug, put a robe and a ring on his finger and celebrated him. He said, I don't need to hear about what you did. I don't need to hear where the money is. We're going to throw a party. We're going to celebrate that my son is now alive, that my son is now home. We need to celebrate when the, when the, when the prodigals come home and, and make, their, make their home here at church. If not, all we do is for, is for nothing. We have to celebrate. We have to rejoice. Do we take the moments that happen every single Sunday when people raise their hand? Do we take that as something that just is a normal thing? Are we saying, oh my God, I can't believe it. So many hands went up. One hand went up. Do we understand the implications of that decision, what that means? That someone raising their hand, accepting Jesus, now says that they went from hell to heaven. That they're going to see Jesus face to face when they die. That now they can live every single life never feeling alone. Yes, there may be hard times, there may be bad days, but man, every single day, Jesus is going to be walking with you. That's what happens when someone raises their hand. And every single Sunday, this happens, and thank God and that the favor of, of him is on our church, and we get to see every single Sunday someone raise their hand to follow after Jesus. But we got to be careful it doesn't become repetitive. That we're like, okay, yep, another hand went up, awesome, great. No, it's like, man, even if it's one hand, even if it's 10 hands, it doesn't matter. That, that amount of hands doesn't change the amount of heart we put out when that happens. We have to rejoice always. Do we have that grace to always rejoice? I love that the father threw a party for his son and didn't ask him what he was doing, didn't ask him what he had been. Because you have to understand, there's, there's a part that I left out about the severity of that moment. You see, in Deuteronomy 21, I believe, the law... The Jewish law had stated that if a son or a family member had wasted their inheritance and disrespected the family, that the whole town was to grab a stone and stone that person to death. 
Yeah, that's harsh. It's pretty wild. Like this, like instead of a feast, we, he was supposed to be a funeral. Like this was supposed to be bad news for the son. Like this was something that, that, that was supposed to end this person's life. But I, but I think about that picture. If that went through, if the town lined up and the town picked up their rocks, I really believe who they would be hitting would be the father and not the son. Because the father would have stepped in and taken the hits so his son could be set free. And I think about that. I think about what Jesus did for us. Jesus stood between sin and death. And he says, no, no, I'm not going to have you guys pay for it. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to take the lashes. I'm going to take the hits. I'm going to take the pain. I'm going to take the, the brutality. I'm going to take the false accusations for you. You were supposed to die. The, the wages of sin is death. Sin is not a joke. Sin is here to kill us. A lot, of think is, a, lot of, a lot of people think that sin is pleasurable, but beneath the pleasure is the penalty, and the penalty is death. But Jesus said, I'll take the penalty. Put it on my tab. Put it on my card. I'll pay for you. He didn't have to. He had the power to send angels on the day he was crucified and start all over. But he said, no, I'm going I'm I'm to take, take the beating. I'm going to take the punishment. Because I love you. Because I want to see my children come home. Because I want them to come home and know that their dad loves them. Think about the men in this crowd. Maybe the people in this crowd. In Jewish culture, no, nobody, nobody, men didn't run. It was undignifying. If you ran at that time, it was like you were, there was something wrong with you. You can think of the crowd like, man, man, Jesus is talking about some, some dad running to their son. My, my dad never ran for me. My dad never came to show me love. My, my dad never, never did this or did that. And, See, we can't compare earthly representations of, of what we think is supposed to, what we think is supposed to happen. Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I'm more than that. Look at the prodigal's life compared to who Jesus is. If we could put that chart up, and we'll end with this. The prodigal was lost, ignorant, and dead, spiritually dead speaking. But Jesus, he proclaims that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one could come to the Father through him, except through Him. Does your life feel lost? Do you feel like you have no direction? You feel like you have no vision for your life? You feel like you don't know where to go? You don't know what steps to take? Jesus says, I, I am the way. I, I can show you where to go. I can show you what I have for you. I can pull back the curtains and say, hey, this is what I want to give you. You feel ignorant. You feel like you don't. You don't, you feel like you keep stepping into things that you think is truthful. You think that you know it all. You think you, you, kept, you keep doing things on your own strength. Jesus says, I, I am the truth. Like, I am truth. I know everything. I created everything. If you want to know, if you want to have wisdom, seek me. Last thing he said, prodigal was dead. He, if, if he didn't make a decision to repent, he was going to die there. Because he, he couldn't last on pig food for long. With no money, with no job, with no nothing. But what does Jesus say? I, I am the life. If you feel like a prodigal here today, and you feel like your life is going on the opposite direction, your life is going in a direction you never thought it would take, and you're, you're, you find yourself in this vat of life, and like, man, I don't, how did I get here? How did I end up here? I still can't believe I'm here at church. Like, like, how does this happen? You don't have to guess. You don't have to think about the past anymore. All you need to know is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That, that you, you, can, you can not be dead anymore. You, you can not be ignorant anymore, and, and you, you, cannot be, you cannot be one of those things where I feel like a lot of people are just lost because 
They just need something to guide them. And Jesus is like, I could be your guide. And today, can we be home for all to, to help people meet Jesus and encounter Jesus and let people know that he is the way, the truth, and the life? The prodigal is an example of what people are facing every single day. But it's our job to go out and invite them to our house and save them a seat at the table and let them know that, that here they can find friends, they can find community, they can find love, they can find healing, they can find things that they can try, they tried to look for in the world but didn't satisfy them. But here, here they can be satisfied because it all comes from the well of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we wrap up service and want to give an invitation for those who maybe don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here today and, and you, you don't understand that churches can be a home. Maybe all you've known about church is that people judge and people make fun of you and people gossip about you and people want to, they, they want their worst intentions for your life. But I want you to know this is, this is not what Jesus intended. That he wanted church to be a home and he wanted you to be a part of it. And he believed in the church so much, he believed in the home so much that he died for it. Today, maybe you don't know Jesus. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you, he, 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 wants, to, he wants to bring you home. He wants to invite you to the family. He wants to bring you in close. He, he is a good, good father. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one that loved like Jesus that, that would be willing to lay down their life for people that would mess up and sin. See, Jesus, he was in heaven with the Father and he came down to pay a price no one could pay. But he did it because he loves you. He died on that cross for you and for me. Maybe you're here today and you're like, well, Phil, I, I, let me get my life together first and then I can make a decision. No, no, let, let me tell you that you, you, you can't get your life together without Jesus. Now, you don't have to wait for next week. You don't have to wait for next month that today is a day of salvation. All you got to do on the count of three is raise your hand. I'm not going to put a mic in your face. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you and acknowledge you and welcome you to the family of God. So if that's you, if you want to make that decision here today, if you don't want to keep on running anymore and you want to find a home today, then you raise up your hand. One, two, three. God bless you. 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 Amazing. Amazing. God bless you. I see you. Anybody else? God bless you. I see you. Amazing. Anybody else who didn't raise their hand? Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. For those of you who raised your hand, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you in a prayer. And again, I'm not going to put a mic in your face. I'm not going to embarrass you. Matter of fact, what's going to happen is as we say this prayer, the whole church is going to say it with you. You're not going to be alone in this. Your family is going to back you up. And once you know that this prayer that we're going to say, it doesn't save you. It's who you're praying to that saves you. And what we're doing is this prayer, we're just confessing that Jesus is our Lord and that we believe that he was raised from the dead. And the Bible says when we do that, we will be saved. Today, you can leave here knowing that you're going to spend eternity in heaven and that you're never going to have to cry, shed a tear, or, or be pained ever again because of the decision you made. It's the best decision you can make. The prayer goes like this. Lord Jesus, I open my heart. I invite you inside to be my friend, to be my Savior, to be my God. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean from this day forward. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, I love you and I thank you. And 1 p.m. said, come on, can we, as we, as we stand to our feet, can we celebrate? 
and rejoice with every single person that made that decision. It's the best part of the service and we can stand to our feet. We're going to wrap up service and real quick before, before I talk about the free Bible I want to give to you for everybody raise your hand. I want to pray for one last group of people. If we could bow our heads and close our eyes one last time and we'll, we'll get out of here. But I want to pray for, I want to pray for those who maybe you feel like you're the prodigal. You know Jesus. You know he loves you. You know he has good things for you. You know he cares for you. You know he, he has a call over your life, but yet you have chosen to, to run away from all that. You have chosen to go in opposite direction of what God had intended to you. And maybe you feel like right now you need, a, you need to repent. And repent's not a scary word, and repent's not a word that you should be ashamed of. Repent is actually a, a spiritual healing, a cleansing. It's something the Bible says we should do daily. I just want to lead you in a prayer and just, and just, just pray that you would just always never, you would never forget how, how much God loves you. And that whenever sin or whenever something in your life kind of prones your attention to go that way, that you would always say no and realize that the best thing that you could be is near your Heavenly Father. If that's you, I just want to pray for you and just ask God to make Himself known again in your life. If that's you, on the count of three, you can just raise your hand. One, two, three. Awesome, awesome. Thank you guys for being vulnerable. Thank you guys. You can put your hands down. I saw you. Thank you guys. Lord, you saw every hand that was raised. And God, I don't know their stories. I don't know what they may be facing. I don't know what their day-to-day -day looks like, God, but you do. And God, just what we saw in this story, God, what your son was trying to show us, what Jesus was trying to tell us, God, is, is real for us, God. That, that, God, you are waiting at the house for your children to come home. And God, you're not waiting with an angry, upset, just a, a, just a posture of, of, of hate, God, but you are opening up yourself up to love us, Jesus. And I pray for every single person that raised their hand, God, they don't always remember that. They will never forget how much you love them, God, that whenever their mind and the enemy starts to lie in their head of how much you hate them or how much you despise them, that, God, that they would always remind themselves that that's, an, that's, a, that's a lie from the pit of hell, God, that you only have good things for them, God, that your love surpasses all. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would help them to repent, God, and help them to change that direction, and God, just follow after you with reckless abandon, God. Whether it's joining a connect group, whether it's doing growth track, God, that they would make the right this direction and take the right steps to grow closer to you. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God, that even though we run away, God, you still run after us. Lord, we give you all the thanks and we give you all the glory. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, come make some noise for Jesus. One more time.